as we look at this in chapter 24, we're going to pick up with verse 14 again. And, and we're going to be looking at uh, the, uh, Jesus is, is answering the disciples' questions. He's sitting on Mount Olives, across the Kidron Valley, looking down on, on Jerusalem, and uh, where he's just, uh, where he's left the temple, and where he's had his last words there for the religious leaders. He is going to be uh, uh, going to celebrate Passover just in a matter of hours, and then he is going to the garden to pray, and then he's going to be betrayed and going to be crucified. And so we're in those last hours of, of his time with his disciples, and he's answering their questions. Their questions back in verse 3 is, was tell us, when is these things going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we're going to pick up with verse 14 this morning, and I want to read 14 through 22, and we're going to be talking about the the catching away of the church, okay? Verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness unto them, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, let whoever reads understand this, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to the, get his clothes. And woe unto them that are nursing in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Verse 21 and 22 really just jumped off the page at me. Verse 21 says, it's, it's describing a time of trouble unlike and far worse than anything the world has ever seen up until this time. And there will never be anything to compare with that. Now, as we think back through history, and just in recent history, as we think back to, to Hitler and the Holocaust, as we think back to Stalin and the gulags of Russia and the millions of, of his own people that he killed, as we think back to Pol Pot and Cambodia and the killing fields, we think of the atrocities in the Middle East. We think of all the horrible things that are happening and have happened around the world. And then for Jesus to say that there's coming a time in the future that's going to be worse than anything, far worse than anything you could ever imagine. Now, we were talking the last time we were in this chapter together, we were kind of talking about how that the world is, is preparing unknowingly how the world, God is, is, is allowing the world to prepare itself for this time when a man would stand up and dare stand up and speak blasphemies and be accepted on the world's scene and set himself up as God, as lawlessness and the, uh, uh, the trouble would explode. What would prepare us for that? I read recently this about Hitler. Quoting, said, Hitler did not teach the Nazis to hate the Jews. He just expressed the hatred 
and resentment that had been simmering in thousands of hearts for a while. Now think about that. The stage had been set and prepared because of the, because of the hatred, because of the animosity, because of the, the, the bitterness in the hearts of many people. And so when this charismatic leader stepped onto the scene, this, the writer was saying he was simply verbalizing that which was already there, that which had been simmering in the hearts of that. And when the Antichrist comes onto the scene that Jesus is speaking of here in verse 15, when the Antichrist comes onto the world scene and reveals himself, I believe that he will only be verbalizing what has been what Satan has been simmering in the hearts of human beings. And Barbie and I saw this more than we've ever seen it before. It didn't matter whether it was in Russia or it didn't matter whether it was with uh, Greg in South Africa and it didn't matter who was one of the missionaries in South America. As they, as they would share, there was this commonality of this, of this uh, uh, yes, there's, there's great emphasis in verse 14 of, of God's harvest coming in, but then there's this commonality on the world scene of this animosity, of this resentment, of this hatred for anything Christian or anything to do with Jesus Christ. We see a, we got a very, uh, it's a bad example, but it's a very clear example a couple of weeks ago. And we had a couple with us first service from, from Pennsylvania. A couple of weeks ago in Pennsylvania house, as they began the house session, they opened it in prayer. A pastor's wife opened it in prayer and she prayed in Jesus' name. Matter of fact, she mentions Jesus' name several times. And one of, the, one of the new members of their house there took offense and said she was offended because she was a Muslim and because this lady would pray in Jesus' name. So the governor promptly issued a, an apology for offending this person because the name of Jesus was invoked. And so when the Muslim got up to, to be in, uh, recognized and introduced, she read from the Quran and the entire house stood and applauded the reading of the Quran. Now I looked at that and it's not animosity against the Quran. The Quran is just a, a book. It's a false religion. It's sending meetings medium, to hell. But what I looked, I thought, man, I'd never see the day when in a house, a legislative house in the state of Pennsylvania or in any state in this country that was founded upon God's truth, there would be an apology for using Jesus Christ and an applaud of that which is ungodly. But we are. So we are seeing, sometimes we catch glimpses of, of that. Now, the question is, what is keeping that, verse 21, what's, 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 when's that going to happen? What's hindering that from happening now? What's keeping that from happening? From keeping that which is simmering underneath from boiling over and us seeing. What is, what is the restraining force? What's holding that back? Let me say what I believe, Denise. I believe it is the Holy Spirit presence indwelling the hearts and lives of believers are followers of Christ. I believe that's the hinder, I believe that's the restraining force. Let me tell you why I believe that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and verse 14. In verse 13, uh, Jesus is speaking as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? The only thing it's good for then is to be thrown, thrown out and trodden underfoot of men. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hid. So Jesus was saying to those 
listeners that day and to all of us who, who are followers of Christ down through the years, he's saying, when the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell in you, you become that salt. What is that? Well, the first thought comes to mind, and I, and I know some of you are on, what's it, high blood, you've got high blood pressure, whatever, you have to watch your salt intake. Um, and I know, I, I understand all that. But I just want to tell you, my first thought that came to my mind was country ham. That's just uh, where I am. Uh, and and I, I can remember as a boy, we, we killed a hog, and I remember the, the women uh, rendering the lard up. And I remember that, fr- that fresh sausage and that fresh tender one is about lunchtime. But I can remember all that smell that. But I, that we had a smokehouse. And I can remember going in the smokehouse and those hams and shoulders there and the, and the side meat and the bacon. And I can remember the salt. And, and we had rubbed rub that salt in and we'd turn it. We made sure we got it covered all over. And we'd go out there on a regular basis and rub that salt into that meat. And as that salt, as that meat absorbed that salt, it, it, that salt was there to keep it from rotting. It preserved the meat. And we'd go out there and slice off. Of, man, I, well, I'm not even going to go there. But that salt was to, was to act as a preservative, act as, as uh, can't say anything better than that. It's a preservative in that. It's a, re, a, re, a restraint of the rottenness. And the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Christians is a hindrance to the humanistic thoughts that we, that's rampant in the world today. It's a retardant to Satan's plans uh, until that, that hinders is removed. Now, I'm going to be sharing several scriptures uh, this morning and, and the next week or so. And I, and I know when we talk about eschatology or we talk about end-time events, that uh, there's, there's uh, a lot of different opinions. And there's... there's there's people that are a lot smarter and more educated than I will ever be about this that may have a different opinion, okay? And I understand that. I'm going to try, and I, I do have opinions. I will try to say this is what I believe or this is what I think. But I'm going to try to keep us in God's Word. And you pray and let God guide you on, onto this significant event. Paul was writing to the Thessalonian Christians in the book of 2 Thessalonians, if you want to jump over there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he writes in, in both these letters to these guys, to these Christians there, he writes, and the thing that encouraged him to start with was they were looking for the Lord's return, and, uh, and some people said the Lord has already come back. And so they had loved ones that had died looking for the Lord's return, thought they were going to see him in their lifetime, and, and he didn't come in their lifetime, and they died. And so these Christians in Thessalonica were concerned. They said, well, listen, if we missed it, did, did, did he not take us? And what about our loved ones that died? If, if, if they died looking for his return, where are they now? What's going on? Did they, were they believing a lie? So Paul is writing to them in both these letters. He, he really gives us a lot of clarity, I believe, on the, on the, on the Lord's return. First, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, maybe, maybe these 10 of these verses. It's all good, but it says, Now we, we beseech you, brethren... By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Don't let anybody deceive you by any way, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And we talked about this 
mentioned the word the apostasy, where we get our apostasy about that. And look at this phrase. <clears throat> and Paul says, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he's God. This is what Jesus is speaking of. This is what Daniel is talking about. This is what the abomination that makes desolate. Is when the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem and sets himself up and says, I'm God. Now... Just this week, didn't make a lot of headlines, but there was a, a leader whose name is on the news quite a bit who made the statement, I'm God. Uh, yeah, yeah. But when this man, Paul is telling this Thessalonians that this man is going to set himself up. And he says, remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Now look at verse 6. Verse 6 is really interesting to me. Second Thessalonians 2. <clears throat> and now... You know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Okay. Who's got a different translation on that? I'm not going to throw you out of church. I want you to read it to me. <laughs> Who's got a different translation? Read it loud, Sarah. Stand up and read it loud. And you know... What is holding him back? What's restraining? What's restraining this revealing of the Antichrist now? What's, 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 re, what's hindering him? Because this verse says that he can only be revealed at the proper time. And, and the interesting thing that Paul was saying that just grabbed my attention is Paul was saying to these Thessalonians, you know what that is. That's what, that's what Anise was saying. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling the followers of Christ. Let's continue on. For, this, for the mystery of iniquity is already working, Paul says. Only he who now letteth will let until he's taken out of the way. And it says only, only now the one that's restraining will restrain until he is taken out of the way. And then when? When the one that's restraining, when the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the hearts of the followers of Christ, when that restraint is removed and then... Verse 8 says that wicked will be revealed. This is the Antichrist. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. <clears throat> Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now I'm going to get a drink of water because this last statement in verse 10 is so important. Look at this. How could this possibly happen? What could, what could prepare the world for this? Because they received not the love of the truth so that they might be saved. Wow. They knew, Paul says, you know that it's restraining power of the Holy Spirit. So when is this salt going to be removed? Well, Scripture tells us that no man... Knows the day, nor the hour. But from what we read in 2 Thessalonians, what I've just read from you, to you, I believe that it, if we go back to Matthew 24, I believe that the catching away of the church happens between verse 14 of Matthew 24 
and verse 15. Look at this. In verse 14, he's talking about uh, this great emphasis on evangelism, that the world, that there will be witnesses is harvest. And then verse 15, verse 14 ends, says, then the end will come. Verse 15, when you therefore shall see this abomination of desolation, or the abomination that makes desolate, then when you see the revealing, the unveiling of this lawless person, this antichrist, you'll know that this time. No man knows the day nor the hour, but I believe it will be before the antichrist is revealed and openly. How will it happen? Well, it'll happen by the removal of the church. Now, that's not the removal of the church buildings, but it's the, it's the catching away of the body of believers that make up the followers of Christ. So when they are taken up, when they are removed, when they're called up to be with the Lord, then the restraining, then the salt, then the light of, of the Holy Spirit in the believers is going to be removed. And then that'll be the time appointed when the Antichrist will set himself up. That'll be the time in the beginning, which is the world has never seen anything like that, nor will it. But listen to me, that will not end the working of God in the earth yet because there's a lot of stuff that still takes place after the church is called out but it's the restraint is when Jesus catches the church away he's referring to this in the same passage in Matthew 24 verse 36 look at this Jesus says but of that day and hour no man knows not even the angels in heaven only his father God but he says in verse 37 but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they didn't know anything until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one taken, one left. Two women grinding in the mill, one taken, other left. Verse 42 says, Watch therefore. For you don't know the hour your Lord will return. But know this. If the good man of the house had known in what, uh, when the thief would have come, he would have watched so his house wouldn't have been broken into. Therefore, be you also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Jesus says, you don't know the, the day or the hour, but it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. And I've thought about this. I've thought a lot. Because I've heard this preached on even when I was growing up and marrying and giving marrying and eating and drinking. I thought, well, that's, man, that's what everybody's doing all the time. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. Think of how it was. Noah, uh, he, he was on this building project, what was it, 100 and, 120 years? I, I, is that what it is? I think he was building the ark over 100 years. I think it's 120. Building this, he, this project started out in his backyard. Okay, and uh, and after he's building this thing, and, and you can imagine, people come by and start with, "No, watch you, you putting a deck on? What are you doing? No, I'm building a big ark. What's that? It's a big boat. What's that for? I don't know, but God said build it." <clears throat> and and every day, and I can imagine as they would get day after day, week after week, and Moses' scripture tells us that Moses was a preacher of righteousness, and I can imagine the heart of of of, of Noah, the heart of Noah was a heart of God. That's what the, a preacher of righteousness is, the heart of God. And the heart of God is for people. And Noah would say, hey, guys, you've got to stop living like you're living. 
You've got you to stop living for yourself, and you need to be living for God. This life is not all there is. You've got, you got to stop living in immorality. You've got to stop living in sin. You've got to listen to what God's saying to you. And they would pass by, and I imagine if they turned into weeks and turned into months and turned into years and turned into hundred years, by that time, they'd hear a hammer and they'd say, that's so crazy, Noah. That's so crazy, Noah. And so they went on doing their day-by-day things without any regard for what God was trying to say to them. God was trying to say through Noah, you need to be ready. There's disaster ahead. That sounded crazy. Do you know it sounds so crazy today when people talk about the Lord's return for his believers and followers that some Christians have been shamed into even talking about it openly. They believe it, but they know if they talk about it openly, somebody will laugh at them and make fun of them. It, it saddens me. It saddens me. That in a country where we were founded upon God's word and where the founding men and women were men and women of the word of God, that today when someone declares to believe the word of God, they're, they're scoffed and ridiculed. And they really look at them and say, well, you can't put them in office because they believe the Bible and everybody knows that's ridiculous. How was it in the days of Noah? I think it was a lot similar to what we see around us today. I think, I think there, there, there are those men and women that are proclaiming God's love. There are men and women that are saying, listen, God's word says that, that, that he's coming, that we need to be ready for him, that we don't know the day or the hour, but he's coming. He's coming, and we need to be ready because if, if we're not, if we don't go with him, we're going to face a time on earth like we have never seen. Ah, always been hard times. I want to tell you, my friend, when God's word says there's never been a time like this and there never will be, Mm. When's that going to be? Well, Paul writing to the Thessalonians again. Go with your, some of you are still over there. Go back to the first letter of Thessalonians. You're in second. Go back to the first Thessalonians, chapter four. We're getting to those good verses in there between Timothy and Hebrews. Yeah, first Thessalonians four. Pick up with verse. Uh, Let's pick it up with verse 15. Paul's writing to them. He says, for, uh, for we believe, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now, I kind of like that. Paul's saying, this is not my opinion. This is what God says. Okay? Now, I'm very, I'm very hesitant to say that. I'm very hesitant. Don't, don't you run around saying God told me to tell you this unless you're absolutely sure. You better be sure of that. But when God's word says it, when it says it in here, it's pretty good. Paul said, okay, this is what God's word says. Look at this. He said that we, he said, I've got this on God's authority. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede or go before those who are asleep. Verse 16 is interesting. We'll, boy, we'll talk about it again. Not today probably, but next, next week. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and to ever be with the Lord. Now this, 
you're not going to find the word rapture necessarily in your, in your Bible. It's not, it's not raptureth. It's not in the King Jameseth. But it's, this, it's, this, it's the term here. It's the catching away of the body of believers, of the saints. And Paul, Paul is saying, hey, and he's telling these Thessalonians, hey, look, those that have died in the Lord, when the Lord returns, he's going to step out on the clouds of glory with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And he said, and at the trump of God, he said, and the dead's going to rise. And those of us who are alive, and he said, they're going to be believers living on the earth. Could be you, could be me, could be today. But they're going to be living on the earth. And when that happens, we're going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air with those believers that have known him before. And we're going to be with him forever. Now, look at verse 18. Yeah, that gets me plumb excited. almost gives me those glory bumps. Look at verse 18. Because God wants this truth to be a comforting truth. He wants it to be an encouraging truth. He wants it to be a motivating truth. He wants it to be an anchor truth for those who follow him. Because verse 18 says, wherefore comfort you one another with these words. Man, that is awesome. That's why no wonder that Titus in chapter 2 verse 13 would refer to the Lord's return as our blessed hope. It's our glorious hope. No wonder Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I've got it in here somewhere, I took it out. 1 Corinthians 15, and, and the whole chapter is, is powerful. This is, this is that great uh, treatise on, on why on the foundation of, of truth. It's like, it's like Romans in one chapter. And, uh, and he's talking about the, the uh, mortality, putting on immortality, corruption, putting on incorruption. He's, he's talking about good stuff. I'm going to pick it up at verse 51, kind of the conclusion of this, and listen to what he says. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Now, mystery in God's word is something that has not been revealed prior to, but God's fixing to let us know what's going on. Okay? And what Paul's saying, this is, this is kind of a mystery is everybody's not going to pass through death. Now, Scripture says, for it's appointed unto man wants to die, but Scripture also says that there's going to be a generation of believers who are going to be alive when the Lord says, hey, y'all come home. Now, for the, for, I'm sorry for, for our northern friends, it's probably going to be you to come home, okay? But, but don't be alarmed because if you, if you don't know, if you haven't understood that yet, when he says that, you'll know exactly what it means, Okay. He says, this is a mystery. We're not going to all sleep the sleep of death. But we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory of death. Where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory has a name, and it's Jesus. Therefore, therefore, my brothers, my beloved brothers, my dearly beloved friends, brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. With every hammer stroke that, that Noah put in that ark, with every hole he bored, every peg he put, every board, board he saw, all this thing, he was doing it because God had said, Noah, do this. And I can imagine, I, I always, I, it's hard for me to ever think about that scripture, and just pardon me because I'm not, I don't bring up all kinds of connotations, but the, hard for me to think about that without thinking about when, uh, what's the guy that's in, in jail now? Uh, black guy, the, the family, he was a uh, Huxtable. Who played that? Bill Cosby. When Bill Cosby did the thing on Noah, oh my goodness alive. That was, I think it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But with everything that we do, God is, what he's saying is so powerful, I think, in this chapter, in this chapter. He's saying that, listen, the anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ should be encouraging. It should be comforting. It should be a, a, a motivator. Because we live in for eternity. We're not living for here and now. We're not living for here and now. We're, you know, everything that we're living for here and now, one day is going to burn up. House is going to, something will happen to them. They'll have to get repaired. I'm, I've got a place that is never, that, that's, that he's preparing. You know? Barbara and I are so blessed. Uh, was it last year? Last year, year before last, when, when y'all remodeled our bathrooms and put our, put our wash and dryer upstairs, got out of the bathroom. Uh, only time Barbie goes to the bathroom now, see if I put fish bait in the refrigerator down there and then get that. But it was, but, and, and she told me that, she, she said, I love this. Every time I see this, I think about their, the church's love for us. I'm going to tell you. And it's awesome. Come out there. We got grandkids like getting our shower and just take a shower. You know, but I'm going to tell you something. I have a savior who says he's preparing a place for me and he's preparing a place for you. And he said that if he prepared a place for us, he would come again and receive us to himself. That's his words. That's not my words. That's his words. And where he is, we can be with him. And he wants us to be exciting. He wants us to be comforting. Let me tell you now. There was a time. Uh, there was a time when, that, when, when I would get anxious. People would start talking about the Lord's return. Start talking about tribulation. The things that are going to happen tri tribulation. And I just kind of get a little bit, little bit anxious. Okay. And then... Uh, Barbie, I'd go to the house and couldn't find Barbie, and I'd holler, and I'd think, well, the rapture's coming. She's gone, I'm left. And then, and, then for a thought, and then for a second, I thought, no, that couldn't be true. Surely that wouldn't be true. You have to ask, um, what's his name? Buddy Pope. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Buddy Pope tells a story of, of this year of, of, of what Colleen and, and his son did for him about the rapture. But I was anxious. I would be anxious. And then I, I came to a place of realizing that it's, it's a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And as we walk that out, we don't have to fear. We can be encouraged because when he's ready for us, we'll hear him and we'll leave and we'll go. And that's comforting. Now, let me share something. The most, let me share it bottom of my heart. But if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here this morning and you've never asked him to come in your life and save you, maybe you, maybe you just started going to church and, and think, well, I'm just going to try to be good like them church people are. It's hard, but I'll, try to, I'll do my best, you know. Or maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've just thought, man, it, 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 I'd, I'd love to believe that, but it's, you know, it's outdated. I don't know. I can't buy into that stuff. 
This is my heart. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you need to be, you need to be fearful. Because to not go when he takes the church. Now again, there's going to be, the Holy Spirit, God's got work he's going to do on earth. But it's going to be in the midst of the most difficult times that's ever been as far as human beings. And you don't want to go through that. You don't, want to, you don't have to be a part of that. You don't want to be in that. You don't want to experience that. No one does. There will be a time. Revelation tells us about a time when people will cry. They'll, they'll plead to die. Because the, the suffering's so bad. Emotionally, mentally, physically. But they can't. And, no, and, and you don't want to have to go through that. God don't want you to go through that. You, is, if God's speaking to you today and you've never asked him it's, it's to be your savior, you need to do that today. That's the, that's the best decision you ever made. Mildred told me after the first service, she said, Ronnie Henson, when, when Daryl was singing with the Hensons, or playing with the Hensons, that Ronnie Hensons used to say he had, he had never seen a Christian that was, never met a Christian that was sorry. They were Christians. He met some sorry Christians, but he never met a Christian that was sorry that he asked Jesus into their life. And, 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 I, and I, on the authority of Scripture, you'll never regret asking Christ to be your Savior. You say, well, Jerry, he's going he's to hinder my style. Maybe your style needs hindering. He's going to deliver you out of, out, of, out of trouble ahead. He loves you. He loves you so much that he's speaking to you now. His grace, his patience. So that, so that that harvest of verse 14 of Matthew 24, so that, that those last ones before the church, before the rapture. And if you've not accepted him as your Savior, you need to do that this morning. I'm, I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm here to say to you, God loves you. And he knows you. You say, well, I don't know him. No, he wants you to get to know him. But he knows you. Scripture says he knows everything about us. You can't come to him and tell him some sin that you've done that's been covered up and God say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. If I didn't know that, I'd never let you into the family. Now that's, listen, that's pretty awesome. Because I've had people, I mean, 35 years of pastoring, 36 years now, I've had people say to me, we're, we're going to get married, but, and I say, okay, if, are, are you good with the past? Well, no, there's things that she don't know that, I, that if, if I told her or if I told him, I don't know if they'd love me. I don't know if they'd want to marry me knowing what I've done. I met a man many years ago. And he said, I don't think Jesus will save me. I've served time in prison. I murdered some people. And I knew what I was doing. This is what I've done. And I was evil. And I'm going to burn in hell because I deserve that. I looked at him and I said, Jesus took your punishment of hell so that he could offer you heaven you tell me who loves us any more than that so you can't surprise him with what you've done you just need to come to him say man I need you to come into my life I need you to forgive me I need, I need to be a follower let's pray Lord, as we, as we look into your word, wow, it's, it's like reading the headlines today. But we, but we do it with a different perspective because there's no fake news in your word. It's all true. And it's truth because you don't want us to be 
caught off guard. You don't want us to be unprepared. Matter of fact, that's why you tell us, watch, be alert. Know what's happening. Be ready. Listen, I'm coming for you. Wow. Father, you want that to be a, a means of encouragement. To, to those that are here this morning, they're followers of you. That's to be a great motivation. That's to be a tremendous encouragement. That's to be an anchor that we can, we can or a rock we can throw our anchor out and hang on to. Crazy things are happening around us. But Father, there's very, very likely, there's, because your Holy Spirit is really, I believe, speaking, that there's, there's those here this morning that need to just say, come into my heart. I've never done this before. I don't understand it, but I believe there's, I believe you're speaking to me and I know I'm a sinner and I, and I, and I can't, I know I can't be good enough. I, it don't, and I, I don't need to try to be as good as these Christians. Lord knows we're not good enough. It's his goodness. But you'd be willing to say, God, let Jesus forgive me my sins. And you teach me how to follow you. I want to get to know you. Anybody that loves me enough to die for me and to take my place in the punishments of hell for me, I want to know and I want to serve. Just pray that prayer. Ask him to come in. Father, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name.